0: You are Locked On Knicks, your daily podcast on the New York Knicks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah. Uh, my city and why. Yeah, let me take my time. I'm on my grind. Gotta make sure that we shine. What's yours is mine, and what's mine is yours. H.R. to the death and first always, my team for sure Don't ball. Uh, can't fall off, gotta pay support, gotta make sure. You succeed and reach your dream, now live through me, I'm about to take off. Yeah, and it's no days off, in this game just stop, play hard. My
1: team
0: told up with no Hello, and welcome to the Lockdown Knicks Podcast. This is episode 41. I am your host, Jared Dubin. Today, we will be talking about Brandon Jennings and Madison Square Garden crowd favorites, With Seth Rosenthal from Posting and Toasting. Seth, thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate it. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Um, So Brandon Jennings has already, in the preseason, gotten his name chanted by the crowd. uh, for Basically for egging on a guy that may or may not make the Wizards. I can't remember who it was. But uh, he started clapping in his face and doing all sorts of kinds of things to make him like Go nuts, and the guy got teed up. Uh, is this the earliest you can remember the crowd taking uh, a liking to somebody like that?
1: <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it, it might be the earliest. At least, at least the crowd taking a liking to somebody for that reason, you know. I think, I think at, at least at the Garden there are two, you know, two reasons for being a crowd favorite that aren't just being extremely good, and they're either one. That you are an unrepentant, unrepentant jerk to opponents, right? And two, that you're like uh, end of the bench guy who just comes in and shoots threes. Those are basically the two ways into the Garden's heart. Um, and Jennings definitely falls into the first category.
0: Yeah, I would also say that there's a third one, which is that you're Jimmer. Well,
1: isn't he the guy who just pops off the bench and shoots threes?
0: Well, he doesn't really pop off the bench. This is the thing. So that was where it differentiated a little bit. He, he did that one time. Right, he You're did. Time, one time. It was oh god, that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, even a guy like Kristaps, who obviously pretty instantly became a crowd favorite, it took at least into the regular season before people fell in love. Like once he got that first tip dunk, that was really the genesis of everybody loving him. Um, Jennings, basically, what does he played like forty five minutes in the preseason, and it's just like everybody's in love already.
1: Yeah, I I think he seems like a guy who has really studied the Knicks and Madison Square Garden and you know it's no secret that he has made no secret that he's always wanted to be a Knicks since since the moment they didn't draft him um, and I think as a child of the 90s he knows full well that uh, this generation of Knicks fans still worships those early 90s teams and loves that they were all kind of you know pugnacious and, and a little bit dirty and you know defense first
0: Oh, hundred percent. And I feel like, you know, because of that and I, I definitely think I agree with that like he knows that those things are like ways to endear yourself to this generation of the fandom. And I'm interested to see if he starts putting like more effort in defensively because of that. You know, he's he's a small guy and he's like trying to be a pest during the preseason where he wasn't necessarily like full court pressuring guys or being a uh, pest pesky like that. Uh, before in his career, maybe that brings something else out of him. You know, could be just projecting wishful thinking onto it, but I think it's an interesting thing to watch for sure. Right. It's
1: funny because I wonder how much going forward, you know, say when it's the regular season and teams are playing their real point guards. I wonder how much he picks his spots with that stuff because it's one thing to do it against the guy who's playing his you know second or third game on an NBA floor ever in his life, and it's another thing to do it against. Stephen Curry um I I I suspect Jennings knows better than to be like clapping in you know John Wall's face or like trying to pick Chris Paul's pocket 80 feet from the basket but you never know he's a a pretty bold guy
0: (laughs) maybe he doesn't know better honestly I think it would be more entertaining if he doesn't know better and he just starts doing this indiscriminately all season it would be great
1: listen I would take uh problematically over-aggressive defense from a point guard way before, way over, you know, whatever Jose Calderon was providing last year or Raymond yeah. Felt
0: before well, that. It's also, it's been, I think I said this on uh, the podcast yesterday, it's probably been since Charlie Ward that they've had a pod, uh, Sorry, a, a point guard who could be considered a legitimately above-average defender. Is that, do, do people
1: consider Jennings an above average defense? I don't. I don't
0: really. No, know. I don't. I don't they, think they I do. Don't know I'm what his saying. Is. Yeah, I don't think that they do. I think he's generally considered a minus. Um, right. Okay. May, okay. Maybe not as big a minus as recent Derrick Rose, or as right. Jose Calderon through his entire career. Um, but if I'm am saying like if that did come about to where he did start playing defense at a somehow at a higher level, spurred on by being inspired by those Knicks teams which is asking a lot of change from a guy who's again generally been a minus defender but that would be the first guy probably since Charlie Ward is what I'm trying to say yeah unless you count Tony Douglas which I don't because he went to Florida State (laughs) I know you were all about Tony though with your D W T D D, right
1: yeah I mean I I liked Tony Douglas uh I don't know, his, like, sort of cult hero status was more because he was funny and the Knicks just never really had young players. He wasn't even that funny, it was just that one thing he said that one time that he referred
0: One year he shot, like, I think he was, like, second or third in the league in three-point percentage after the All-Star break one season. But the right. the thing I'll never forget about Tony Douglas is that, so he got drafted uh, the year I graduated from college, and uh, it was at this time, like, while all through high school and college, my friends and I would watch the NBA draft at my house every year. And the day of that draft, we were getting ready to watch it. I said to my friends, I was like... I want you guys to kill me if the Knicks draft Jordan Hill and Tony Douglas in this draft. (laughs) Because they had bought the pick from the Lakers the night before and then of course they wound up doing exactly that. I think I said about Jordan Hill I was like we've already seen Lauren Woods in the NBA we don't need that guy on the team. (laughs) He wound up not being very he wound up not being very Lauren Woodsy but he also wound up being not very good.
1: Yeah. just like he came in and just kind of blended in and he was okay and then he left and the crowd never really took to him one way or another it was for for a guy who's a lottery pick
0: I mean, that's stuff def- Other than his hair, there really wasn't much interesting about him, at all when he was with the Knicks. And then he was he what he was attached to uh, Jared Jeffries in that trade, right? Yeah. Yep. The T Mac deal. For the T Mac deal, and T Mac by the way, instantly became a crowd favorite. I was at his first game as a Nick. The entire building was chanting T Mac basically all night, especially against the Thunder yep Kevin Durant had a game tying jumper in regulation and a game winning jumper in overtime um, Mac had something like 25 and 5 um, something like that and then of course he completely broke down and barely played the rest of the season but that one yeah, night it's was pretty awesome it's
1: beautiful because he became an instant fan favorite and then was for his extremely brief and you know belated career was maybe one of the worst Knicks ever
0: Right. He was so bad. <laughs> he was really bad. He was never on the court. And it was, like, entirely predictable that that would happen. I mean, they got him basically as an expiring contract so they could create space for LeBron that summer, which worked out super well. Um, right. But, I mean, that one night, especially the kids sitting directly behind me and my law school roommate. I was one of my best friends from growing up. These two kids were sitting behind us with their dad, and they literally just kept screaming, T-Mac! Mac, The entire game Like trying to get Him to acknowledge them From the court And would not shut up It was It was not fun But the game was fun Which was cool It was a good game I'm trying to think um, Of other guys That have become Either Like crowd favorites Or The opposite of crowd favorites Like objects of scorn um, (laughs) Quickly Like Jennings has um, obviously Bargnani, uh, within his first I think the first stint that he was on the court in the regular season was already being booed um, yeah. Chris Stapps was well, cheered very quickly I think somebody like yeah, Landry yeah. Fields was quickly
1: got, sort of a fan favorite I know what my favorite my favorite somewhat recent instant fan favorite is by far go ahead Rasheed Wallace
0: oh 100% he's
1: yes he's coming from a different place obviously where like you know he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't new to the league, of course, and everyone knew who he was, but he so gleefully embraced that transition from like borderline superstar to retired to end of the bench, you know, victory cigar. He just loved it. And when it, I, I want to say it was the very first game of that 12 13 season or maybe the second game but whatever it was the Knicks, you know started that year with a couple blowouts and he they were chanting for chanting for him to come off the bench and then Winston pulled him off the bench and he came in and just started gunning and just ate it up I
0: loved that and then at the end of the season Kenyon Martin did sort of the same thing but with like over aggressive defense like you know how when Melo gets into like his I am playing defense right now mode (laughs) and like gets all up in his guy and usually fouls like Kenyon Martin was just doing that all the time
1: Yes. Yep, he would come in and maim somebody, and the garden would
0: love him for it. Yeah, and that goes back to the same thing we talked about earlier with, like, everybody loves those 90s guys because that was what they did as sort of a default. Like, Mason yeah. and Oakley especially, uh, and even Starks to a certain extent, you know, when he wasn't going through one of his shooting spells, um, those guys were all up in their guy at all times, and that's, like... There's nothing the Garden loves more, like, even more than a scoring explosion. It's like, if they get five or six stops in a row by pressuring the hell out of the other team for some turnovers, that's what the Garden, like, really gets off on.
1: Uh-huh. Shepard had his moments doing that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And people would get antsy when he would try to do stuff offensively, which is it always made it funny when he'd come back from the summer and being like, I really worked on expanding my game, I worked on my handle, and I'm going to start attacking the basket more And people were just like nah man just like stand there shoot threes and play really good defense <laughs> <laughs> and it, that's sort of what he's been limited to doing in Cleveland and before he got hurt uh, last year like he had done well with it the year before
1: yeah you know another one that comes to mind uh, different different vibe from Rasheed Wallace but sort of a similar thing where he was a known person who left the league and came back with Johnson
0: Oh, yeah. At the, the start of that in. one season, like, he played really well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was, like, 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And he, he came in and, and, like, immediately hit a couple threes or something. He hit his first few shots after checking in like, the second half of a game that didn't matter at all. And it was at home, and, you know, people were into it because it's just fun when there's a, a new guy and he has some sort of weird history and all of a sudden getting buckets. People love it.
0: Yeah, I think the year before that, down the stretch of the season over the last like eight games or so Earl Barron yeah, had a few like double doubles in a row like seven or eight seven of eight I mean, games or something like that it's like 30
1: rebounds in a game at one point yeah
0: it was ridiculous and people loved Earl Barron absolutely ate it up that was a good one um George Harrelson whenever he would get in the yes. game people love that yeah. Um, I, I can't believe we've gone now 13 and a half minutes and we haven't brought up like the single most obvious instant crowd favorite of Jeremy Lynn Novak Both of them incredibly obvious. I mean sort of at the same time, you know, Novak especially with like the discount double check and then right. Lynn like just coming out of absolute nowhere. Like I heard some people wrote a book about that. Uh, I have also heard that. Yeah. I mean
1: like, for a few weeks, he was, I mean, people were chanting his name before he was great, but for a few weeks, he was, like, one of the best players in the NBA. So, he definitely deserved it, whereas Novak had a relationship with the fans that I don't think I've ever witnessed with anyone else, where if he touched the ball anywhere, absolutely anywhere, everyone was demanding that he shoot, the whole crowd. And okay. if he passed, and, like, the whole crowd, including J.R. Smith, who would be on the floor, <laughs> would just be like, put it up. It doesn't matter where you are, just pull. Um, and yeah, it's just like the the inhale and exhale every time he touched the ball was unlike anything I've ever seen. And it, and it fit him because he, the only reason he would ever touch the ball is if he was open behind the arc. And he's like, that shooting season was unbelievable. So um, he, he was, people would chant his name, but also like there was sort of a live action element to it that, that you don't see with other fan favorites quite as much.
0: Yeah, I remember first of all you writing about like the audible gasp that would happen every time Novak touched the ball and then like it was so random that JR who had like never passed in his life before that season developed like this random ass chemistry with Steve Novak where like every time Novak was on the floor all JR would do was try to find him for threes it was so weird it
1: kind of makes sense that Novak would you know that that JR would Novak so much just because just like imagine being JR and having JR's sort of mindset and then here's this dude who shoots every time he touches the ball <laughs> and hits like 50% of them I, I think I would also worship him if I were JR Smith and just think like, oh my god we have to get this guy the, the ball he, what, what a weapon we've suddenly discovered
0: that's that so great. true that that's so true um, I'm, I'm trying to think now of like objects of scorn from the fan base. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about Bargnani. Um, are there any others you can think of like off the top of your head? I mean, Jerome James, Eddie Curry, uh, basically anyone from the Isaiah years. Um, it sort of went from one side to the other with Marbury where immediately everyone loved him because right. he's from New York and then by the end of his tenure it was like, my God, get this guy out of here.
1: I could be making it up, but I for some reason I feel like uh, after Quintel Woods messed up that wide open dunk that he had some bad moments for the crowd wasn't great and Antonio McDice had sort of been, you know for reasons that he didn't control had some maybe uncomfortable moments but it's really Bargnani I, I can't think of the
0: yeah, nobody the approaches that level I can't think of the
1: crowd booing someone unprompted um other than Bargnani, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. But usually, you know, you just play badly enough for long enough and they'll start doing it. But, right. like, at the beginning of one of your first games, is something I've never seen besides lovely Andrea.
0: Yeah, I, I can't really remember that. You know who had a good relationship with the crowd for a long time was Al Harrington. Yeah. It's also He's yeah. also a New York guy and, and just ate it up right away. And like people ate up his style of play offensively as like a big guy who just st- stood around chucking threes, sort of like a precursor to Rashid, I guess. Yeah. But then he had some bad moments too, like that one season where he lost two games against the Clippers by getting teed up for hanging on the rim. Like in two different yeah. games against the same team in the same season. Classic. <laughs> Obviously one on the road and one at home, but it was like and I think the one on the road oh. was first, so people like remembered that he had already yeah. done that. Ugh.
1: Actually, speaking of those games, I want to say that uh, Zach Randolph had some of those moments too, where just because he has he had such a lackadaisical style that he would he would get some scorn. I don't yeah. know if it was outright booing ever, but he just like sort of the opposite of Al Harrington, where like he was pretty good, but he just never really looked like he was trying. and people didn't take kindly to that.
0: Yeah, another guy that had a a good one was Quentin Richardson. I think people just loved like he came came in like he wasn't good at all. But whenever he would make threes and do like his head-bopping thing, people ate that up also. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Whenever you get a guy that knocks down a bunch of shots or plays really good defense for whatever sort of extended stretch, whether they're good or not, people will like it. Um, anyone else that you could think of that, was, that either really endeared themselves or did not? Maybe like early David Lee? Yeah,
1: I mean, early David Lee was was basically like he's the kind of fan favorite that like any any fan base in the league would love. You yeah. know the guy who was late draft pick, white, you know, blue collar kind of guy who comes in and just gets easy buckets and rebounds. Like everyone's dad is stomping their feet for that guy to get more minutes because he plays the right way. Yeah, um, which is kind of funny given what his reputation is now. But <laughs> just, and I, I and like it was justified. David Lee was. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. From that draft class as well was obviously a fan favorite, and he hit a game winner early in his career. Um, that day, I game remember game.
0: watching that game winner. So it was so the Rangers and the Knicks. It was a day game; they were both playing at the same time. Um, the Knicks, I think, in Philly against the Sixers, and the Rangers at home. Um, and at the same time, overtime in the Knicks game and a shootout in the Rangers game were going on, and. Uh, I'll remember this guy forever because he had, like, the greatest goal I've ever seen. Marek Malik, who was, like, the the sixth defenseman, did one of those things where, like, you stick your stick, like, backwards between your legs and then flip it up. It was, like, the greatest shootout goal I've ever seen, probably. Like, you could look it up on YouTube, just go, like, Marek Malik shootout goal. And it was ridiculous. And then, like, 35 seconds later, Nate hit that game-winning three. It was against the Sixers. I
1: almost want to say it was over average.
0: It might have been, I mean, it was like 2008 or
1: 2009, right? Yeah, thereabouts. I'm probably conflating time. I have a tendency yeah, to do that. That whole era of,
0: of the team was so mushed together because everybody, all the teams were so bad. So it's just like everyone, everything from like 2006 to 2010 is like, oh yeah, it could have been any of those years.
1: Yeah, and like my brain is just starting to go and I can't remember anything. <laughs> but yes
0: um hmm I'm trying to think if there are any more guys Tim Thomas and Larry Hughes did not endear themselves to the garden crowd no Um, no Larry
1: go ahead because that's that Hughes is that classic thing where um well I mean Hughes was pretty bad but I think that if you sort of like Al Harrington or possibly Jennings if you aren't really that good but you just look like you care you know you make a lot of faces stop your feet and clap your hands and stuff then the garden will get behind you and you can be pretty decent not that hughes was or tim thomas was but have sort of a a casual demeanor and the garden will never be on your side right
0: um not necessarily in that vein but there may be nobody that the crowd has ever loved more than jamal crawford Yeah.
1: That made for some pretty incredible moments.
0: Definitely. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Steve Francis, who also wanted to do that and couldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: Steve Francis was kind of at, at the past the point in his career and like in, in the lives of his knees where he really could beat people like the way that he wanted to. Right
0: because yeah, I mean, he was
1: never he was never so much I, I get like he had a handle for sure but he was the kind of guy on the Rockets who would blow by people and then he would dunk on you Right. whereas Jamal Crawford did all of his his dazzling on the ground uh Francis just didn't he didn't really have the DD, any of the skills that made him so famous at all uh by the time he was on the Knicks and he right. wasn't even that bad
0: he, he was just like, kind of
1: athletic. athletically done
0: um, yeah. a, a couple more um, on on either side of the aisle um, Kurt Thomas obviously a favorite um, Mike Sweetney not a favorite safe to say um, same with Shandon Anderson and Howard Isley um, who everybody hated largely for being part of the Ewing trade but also for just being terrible and having terrible contracts that weighed down the team and I guess you could, yeah. you could toss Vin Baker in there with them too
1: I could all right, so I can vaguely remember him getting a little bit of love early in his rookie year. Early,
0: before he got Um, super fat.
1: Yeah, you know, he was already overweight, but he was, he got some buckets early on, he got some rebounds, because he was, he was a really talented player that just sort of never really latched on. Um, I feel so sorry for Isley, who is now an assistant coach, by the way, which is nice, Isley and Anderson, because those two guys were just tasked with, like, trying to lead a team when they had spent their careers as, like, backups on good jazz teams and now we're basically forced to be the best players on the Knicks and obviously that wasn't going to work. They had their moments, though, both of those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they were put in a position where everybody was going to hate them no matter what because they were coming in for Ewing and that's just never going to work out. Um, You know, what are you going to do? Right. And and then the, the fact that they stuck around for so long because of their contract, it just made it exponentially worse sort of with each passing year yeah, yeah. And, and look obviously you know we're both born in the late 80s so I'm sure we're missing guys from the 70s and 80s and we're you know we're sticking mostly with like the 90s and 2000s um, people can let us know guys from prior to that era we just you know we weren't alive to see it
1: so yeah. Uh, actually I'm pretty sure the Knicks didn't exist before I was born so. that's true
0: so that's that's why we know the Knicks have never won a championship oh right. god um, Latrell Sprewell also obviously fits into the really good player category but the crowd loved that dude loved him
1: yeah well and that's like you know even if he had been a, like a less efficient player that's a dude who just like dunked with force you know was very animated had that, like, basically criminal history coming yeah. with too. and uh, people leave that up because we were in New York and we think that we're super tough and gritty and whatever.
0: Exactly. He also just looked angry all the time which I feel like helped. Yeah. Like, he just always yeah. had a scowl on. Like, you could never catch Spree smiling. No. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up. A pretty good reminiscing about all the the horrible years of Knicks guys and several okay years of Knicks guys that people wound up just loving for no reason at all. Um, before I let you go, you want to let people know where they can find your stuff, where they can get you on Twitter, things like that.
1: Sure. Uh, I am, uh, Seth underscore Rosenthal on Twitter. Um, posting and posting is my Knicks website at uh, which you will still occasionally see me, right? Um, I I work for SvNation.com, which is a fine sporting website, and you can come to my house
0: and hang out with me. You heard it first here. You can go to Seth Rosenthal's house and hang out with him literally whenever you want. All you got to do is look it up on Um, (laughs) StarMaps.com. Be sure sure to please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave a review. Preferably uh, Bill Walker star rating. Bill Walker, not really a crowd favorite or non-favorite either way, but he wore number five, so I'm asking for a five-star review if you want to give it to us. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Audioboom and or Stitcher. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back with more podcasts next week as we get closer and closer to the season. Seth, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it.